Compassion in action. Nobody can be unselfish except hypocrites. The word selfish has taken a very condemnatory association because all the religions have condemned it. They want you to be unselfish, but why? To help others? I'm reminded a small child was talking to his talking to his mother, and the mother said, Remember always to help others. And the child asked, Then what will the others do? Naturally the mother said, They will help others. The child said, This seems to be a strange scheme. Why not help yourself? Rather than shifting it and making things unnecessarily complex. Selfishness is natural. Yes, there comes a moment when you are sharing by being selfish. When you are in a state of overflowing joy, then you can share. Right now, miserable people are helping other miserable people. <laughs> The blind leading others who are blind. What help can you give? It is a very dangerous idea which has prevailed throughout the centuries. I like this part again. Selfishness is natural. Yes, there comes a moment when you are sharing by being selfish. When you are in a state of overflowing joy, then you can share. Right now, miserable people are helping other miserable people, the blind leading others who are also blind. What help can you give? It is a very dangerous idea which has prevailed throughout the centuries. In a small school, the lady teacher told the boys, at least once per week, you should do a good thing. One day, one boy asked, Just please give us some examples of good things. We don't know what is good. So she said, For example, a blind woman wants to cross the street. Then, help her to cross the street. This is a good job. This is Virtuous. Virtuous. The next week she asked, Did any of you remember to do what I have said to you? Three children raised their hands. She said, This is not good. The whole class has not been following. But still, it is good that at least three boys did something good. She asked the first, What have you done? He said, Exactly what you have said. One old woman who was blind, I helped her to cross the street. She said, That's very good. God will bless you. She asked the second, What have you done? She, he said, The same, a blind woman, a blind old woman, I helped her to cross the street. The teacher became a little puzzled. Where are they finding blind old women? But it is a big city. 
perhaps they may have found too. She asked the third, and he said, I did exactly what they have done. Helped a blind old woman cross the street. The teacher said, But where did you find three blind women? They said, You don't understand. There were not three blind women. There was only one blind woman. And it was so hard to help her to cross the street. She was beating us and shouting and screaming <laughs> because she did not want to cross. But we were intent on doing some virtuous act. A crowd gathered, people were shouting at us, but we said, Don't be worried. We are taking her to the to the other side. But she but she never wanted to go to the other side. People are being told to help others, and they are empty within themselves. They are being told to love others, love your neighbors, love your enemies, and they are never told to love themselves. All the religions, directly or indirectly, are telling people to hate themselves. A person who hates himself cannot love anybody. He can only pretend. The basic thing is to love yourself so totally that love overflows you and reaches to others. I'm not against sharing, but I'm absolutely against altruism. Altruism. I'm for sharing. But first, you must have something to share. And then, you're not doing anything as an obligation to anybody. On the contrary, the person who receives something from you is obliging you. You should be thankful because the other could have rejected your help. The other has been generous. You should be thankful. Because the other could have rejected your help. The other has been generous. My whole insistence is that the individual should be so happy, so blissful, so silent, so content that out of his state of fulfillment he starts sharing. He has so much, he is like a rain cloud. He has to shower. If others' thirst is quenched, if the thirst of the earth is quenched, that is secondary, if each individual, if each individual is full of joy, full of light, full of silence, he will be sharing it without anyone telling him. Because sharing is such a joy, giving it to someone is more joyful than getting it. Giving it to someone is more joyful than getting it. If others' thirst is quenched, if the thirst of the earth is quenched, that is, secondary, if each individual is full of joy, full of light, full of silence, he will be sharing it without anyone telling him. 
because sharing is such a joy. Giving it to someone is more joyful than getting it. But the whole structure should be changed. People should not be told to be altruistic. They are miserable. They can, what can they do? They are blind. They, what can they do? They have missed their life. What can they do? They can give only what they have got. So people are giving misery, suffering, <laughs> anguish, anxiety, everybody else that comes in contact with them. This is altruism. Number one, no. I'd like everybody to be utterly selfish. Oh、mm. uh, yeah, there is a book, The Virtue of Self Selfishness by Ayn Rand. Each tree is selfish. It begins water to its roots. It brings water to its roots. It brings juices to its branches, to the leaves, to the fruits. To the flowers, and when it blossoms, it releases fragrance to everybody, known, unknown, familiar, stranger. When it, is when it is loaded with fruits, it shares, it gives those fruits. But if you teach these trees to be altruistic, all these trees will die, just as the whole humanity is dead. Just corpse walking. Are walking to where? Walking to their graveyard, finally to rest in their graves. Life should be a dance, and everybody's life should be a dance. It should be a music, and then you can share. You will have to share. I don't have to say it, because this is one of the fundamental laws of existence. The more you share your bliss, The more it grows. But I teach selfishness. I like it. Don't be a lawyer, be a lover. In Matthew 22, is it said, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, Which is the great commandment in the law? Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And the second is like, Unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Two words, law and love, are tremendously significant. They represent two types of mind, the polar opposites. The mind that is legal can never be loving, 
and the mind that loves can never be legal. The legal attitude is religious, it is political, social, and the attitude of love is non political, non social, individual, personal, religious. Moses, Manu, Marx, Mao, these are the legal minds. They have given the law to the world. Jesus, Krishna, Buddha, Lao Tzu, these are the people of love. They have not given a legal commandment to the world. They have given a totally different vision. I've heard a story about Frederick the Great. Frederick the Great, the king of Prussia. He was a legal mind. A woman came to him and complained about her husband. She said, Your Majesty, my husband treats me very badly. Frederick the Great said, That is not my business. But the woman persisted. She said, Not only that, Your Majesty, he speaks ill of you also. Frederick the Great said, That is none of your business. This is the legal mind. The legal mind is always thinking of law, never of love. The legal mind thinks of justice, but never of compassion. The justice that is without compassion can never be just. Huh? Justice that is without compassion can never be just. A justice which has no compassion in it is bound to be unjust. And a compassion that may appear unjust cannot be unjust. The very nature of compassion is to be just. Justice follows compassion as a shadow. But compassion doesn't follow justice as a shadow. Because compassion is the real thing, love is the real thing. Your shadow follows you. You don't follow your shadow. <laughs> the shadow cannot lead, the shadow has to follow. And this is one of the greatest. Controversies of human history, whether God is love or law, whether God is just or compassionate. The legal mind says God is law, is just. But the legal mind cannot know what God is, because God is just another name for love. The legal mind cannot reach. To that dimension. The legal mind always goes on throwing responsibility on somebody else. The society, the economic structure, history. For the legal mind, the other is always responsible. Love takes the responsibility itself. It is always I who am responsible, not you. Once you understand that you are responsible, you start blossoming. Law is an excuse. It is a cunningness of the mind. 
so that you can always protect yourself, defend yourself. Love is vulnerable. Law is a defensive arrangement. When you love somebody, you don't talk law. When you love, law disappears. Because love is the ultimate law. It needs no other law. It is enough unto itself. And when you love, when love protects you, you don't need any other protection. Don't be legalistic. Otherwise, you will miss all that is beautiful in life. Don't be a lawyer. Be a lover. Otherwise, you will go on protecting, protecting yourself. And in the end, you will find that there is nothing to protect. You've been protecting just an empty ego. And you can always find ways and means to protect the empty ego. I've heard a story about Oscar Wilde. His first play was staged and it failed completely. It was a flop. When he came out of came out of the uh, when came out of the theater hall, friends asked, "How did it go?" He said, "It was a great success, but the audience was a great failure." <laughs> This is a legal mind, always trying to protect the empty ego, nothing but a soap bubble. Hollow within, full of emptiness and nothing in it. But the law goes on protecting it. Remember, the moment you become legalistic, the moment you start looking at life through the law, maybe the law is that of the government or the law is that of the church, it makes no difference. The moment you start looking at life through the law, through the moral code, the scripture, the commandment, you start missing it. One needs to be vulnerable to know what life is. One needs to be totally open, insecure. One needs to be able to die in knowing it. Only then one comes to know life. If you are afraid of death, you will never know life because fear can never know. If you are unafraid of death, if you are ready to die to know it, you will know life, eternal life, which never dies. Law is hidden, fear. Love is expressed, fearlessness. Ah, law is hidden, fear. Love is expressed fearlessness. I like it. When you love, fear disappears. Have you observed? When you love, there is no fear. If you love a person, fear disappears. When you love, There is no fear. If you love a person, fear disappears. The more you love, the more fear disappears. If you love totally, fear is absolutely absent. Fear arises only when you don't love. 
Fear is an absence of love. Law is an absence of love. Because law is basically nothing but a defense of your inner trembling heart. You are afraid. You want to protect yourself. If a society is based on law, that society will remain continuously in fear. If a society is based on love, the fear disappears and the law is not needed. Courts will not be needed. Hell and heaven will not be needed. Hell is a legal attitude. Our punishment comes from the legal mind. The law says if you do wrong, you will be punished. If you do right, you will be rewarded. And then there are so called religious religions. They say if you commit sin, you'll be thrown into hell. Just think about the hell. These people who have created the idea of hell must have been very deeply sadistic. The way they have depicted hell, they have made every arrangement possible to make you suffer. And they have invented heaven also. Heaven for themselves and for those who, who, uh, for themselves and for those who follow them. Hell for those who don't follow them and don't believe in them. But these are legalistic attitudes. The same attitudes as criminal punishment and the punishment has failed. Crime cannot be stopped. It has not been stopped by punishment. It goes on growing because, in fact, the legal mind and the criminal mind are two sides of the same coin. They are not different. All legal minds are basically criminal, and all criminal minds can be and all criminal minds can become good legal minds. They have the potential. They are not two separate worlds. They are part of one world. Crime goes on increasing, and the law goes on becoming more and more complicated and complex.、Mm. Man has not been changed by punishment. Man has not been changed by punishment. In fact, they have been more corrupted. Courts have not changed him. They have corrupted him more. And neither have the concepts of reward, heaven, respectability been of any help. Respectability been of any help because, the, because hell depends on fear and heaven depends on greed. Yeah, there are two major factors. Fear and greed. Fear and greed, those are the problems. How can you change people through them? There are the diseases. And the legal mind goes on saying there are the medicines. A totally different attitude is needed, and the attitude of love. Christ brings love to the world. 
He destroys law, the very basic of it. That was his crime. That's why he was crucified, because he was destroying the whole basis of this criminal society. He was destroying the whole function. He was destroying the whole foundation stone of this criminal world, the world of wars and violence and aggression. He gave a totally new foundation stone. These few lines have to be understood as deeply as possible. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, tempting him. He wanted to pull Jesus down into a legal argument. There are many instances in Jesus' life where he was tempted to come down from the heights of love to the dark valleys of law. And the people who tried to con- and the people who tried to tempt him were very tricky. Their questions were such that if Jesus were not really a realized one, he would have fallen victim. They gave him what is called in logic dilemmas. Whatever you answer, you will be caught. If you say this, you will be caught. If you say the opposite, then you will be also be caught. You must have heard the famous story. He's sitting the side of the river. The crowd has come and they have brought a woman. They said to him that this woman has committed sin. What do you say? They tempted him because it is said in the, in the old scriptures that if a woman commits sin, she should be stoned to death. Now, they are giving two alternatives to Jesus. If he says, follow the scripture, then they will ask, where has your concept of love and compassion gone? Can't you forgive her? So all that talk of love is just talk? Then he will be caught. Or if he says, forgive her, then they will say, then you are against the scripture. And you have been saying to people, I have come to fulfill, fulfill the scripture, not to destroy it. This is the dilemma. Now, these are the only two alternatives. But the legal mind... Could you try again? Never mind. But the legal mind is not aware that a man of love has a third alternative, which the legal mind cannot know about, because the legal mind cannot only, because the legal mind can only think in opposites. Ah, only two alternatives exist for the legal mind: yes or no. It does not know about the third alternative, which. De Bono has called Paul. Yes, no, and the third alternative is Paul. It is neither yes nor no. 
It is totally different. Jesus is the first man in the world to say Paul. He didn't use the term. The term has been invented by the Deno, Bono, but he said Paul. He actually did it. He said to those people, he said to these people in the crowd, only those people amongst you who have never sinned and never thought of committing sins, you should come forward. You should take stones in your hands and kill this woman. Now, there was not a single one who had not committed sin or who had not thought of committing it. There may be people who have not committed sin, but they may be thinking continuously about it. In fact, they are bound to think about it. People who commit sin think less, think less about it. Those who don't continuously think and fantasize about it. And for the innermost core of your being, it makes no difference whether you think or you act. By and by, the crowd started disappearing. People who were standing in front, in front disappeared to the back. The legal experts of the society, the prominent citizens of the town, started disappearing. This man had used a third alternative. He didn't say yes. He didn't say no. He said, yes, kill the man, kill the woman but only those who has never committed sin, nor thought about it, should kill her. The crowd disappeared. Jesus was left alone with the woman. She fell at his feet and said, I have really committed sin. I'm a bad woman. You can punish me. Jesus said, Who am I to judge? This is this is between you and your God. This is something between you and existence. Who am I to interfere? If you realize that you have done something wrong, don't do it again.